0: Exodus chapter 9, again the whole chapter, and you can stand with me as we read the scriptures once again. Let us hear now the word of God. Then the Lord said to Moses, go into Pharaoh and tell him, thus says the Lord God of the Hebrews, let my people go that they may serve me. For if you refuse to let them go and still hold them, behold, the hand of the Lord will be on your cattle in the field on the horses, on the donkeys, on the camels, on the oxen, and on the sheep, a very severe pestilence. And the Lord will make a difference between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt. So nothing shall die of all that belongs to the children of Israel. Then the Lord appointed a set time, saying, Tomorrow the Lord will do this thing in the land. So the Lord did this thing on the next day, and all the livestock of Egypt died But of the livestock of the children of Israel, not one died. Then Pharaoh sent, and indeed not even one of the livestock of the Israelites was dead. But the heart of Pharaoh became hard, and he did not let the people go. So the Lord said to Moses and Aaron Take for yourselves handfuls of ashes from a furnace, and let Moses scatter it toward the heavens in the sight of Pharaoh, and it will become fine dust. In all the land of Egypt, it will cause boils that break out in sores on man and beast throughout all the land of Egypt. Then they took ashes from the furnace and stood before Pharaoh, and Moses scattered them toward heaven, and they caused boils that break out in sores on man and beast. And the magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils, for the boils were on the magicians (coughs) and on all the Egyptians." But the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh and he did not heed them just as the Lord had spoken to Moses. Then the Lord said to Moses, rise early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh and say to him, thus says the Lord God of the Hebrews, let my people go that they may serve me. For at this time I will send all my plagues to your very heart and on your servants and on your people that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. Now, if I had stretched out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, then you would have indeed been cut off from the earth. But indeed, for this purpose, I have raised you up that I may show my power in you and that my name may be declared in all the earth. As yet you exalt yourself against my people in that you will not let them go. Behold, tomorrow about this time I will cause very heavy hail to rain down, such as not been in Egypt since its founding. Until now. Therefore, send now and gather your livestock and all that you have in the field, for the hail shall come down on every man and every animal which is found in the field and is not brought home, and they shall die. He who feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh made his servants and his livestock flee to the houses, but he who did not regard the word of the Lord left his servants and his livestock in the field. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward heaven that there may be hail in all the land of Egypt, on man, on beast, and on every herb of the field throughout the land of Egypt. And Moses stretched out his rod toward heaven, and the Lord sent thunder and hail and fire darted to the ground. And the Lord rained hail on the land of Egypt. So there was hail and fire mingled with the hail, so very heavy that there was none like it in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation." And the hail struck throughout the whole land of Egypt, all that was in the field, both man and beast. And the hail struck every herb of the field and broke every tree of the field. Only in the land of Goshen, where the children of Israel were, there was no hail. And Pharaoh sent and called for Moses and Aaron and said to them, I have sinned this time. The Lord is righteous and my people and I are wicked. Entreat the Lord that there may be no more mighty thundering and hail for it is enough. I will let you go and you shall stay no longer. So Moses said to him, as soon as I have gone out of the city, I will spread out my hands to the Lord. The thunder will cease and there will be no more hail that you may know that the earth is the Lord's. But as for you and your servants, I know that you will not yet fear the Lord God. Now the flax and the barley were struck for the barley was in the head and the flax was in bud. But the wheat and the spelt were not struck, for they are late crops. So Moses went out of his, the city from Pharaoh and spread out his hands to the Lord. Then the thunder and the hail ceased, and the rain was not poured on the earth. And when Pharaoh saw that the rain, the hail, and the thunder had ceased, he sinned yet more. And he hardened his heart, he and his servants. So the heart of Pharaoh was hard, neither would he let the children of Israel go, As the Lord had spoken by Moses. This is the very word of God. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Let's go to the Lord once again in prayer. Holy Father, we desire to know your word this evening. We pray that our time, looking briefly at Exodus chapter 9, would yield the fruit of understanding and faith and love for you and the fear of you we pray that we might behold who you are in this passage and come away changed by that vision and understanding and we pray this in the name of Christ amen well in Romans chapter 11 you may recall Paul's teaching in Romans 11 as he speaks about the present circumstances of the Jewish people at his time and He talks about the matter of whether the Jews will be reintegrated into the people of God, into that one olive tree. And in the midst of that, he he wants his readers to understand something about God. And in Romans 11, verse 22, he says this, Therefore, consider the goodness and severity of God on those who fell severity, but towards you, goodness, if you continue in his goodness. And as we read about the judgments of God taking place against Egypt in these chapters in Exodus, I think it is a great opportunity for us to behold both the kindness and the severity of God taking place. The the kindness and mercy of God towards his undeserving people, the Israelites, but then the severity of these horrific plagues taking place. These were very serious Things that were happening to the Egyptians. And so the Lord is revealing who he is. That is one of his intended purposes in the plagues themselves. Why is it that it takes 10 plagues? God could have done it with one. But he says in this passage that his purpose is to make his name known in all the earth. In fact, in our passage, the Lord even says to to Pharaoh, he says, I could have struck you all down immediately. But he didn't. He, he was actually more gracious than he could have been. Uh, he could have destroyed all the Egyptians and then brought the Israelites out, but he didn't do that. He, he was actually measured even in his judgments, and he did not bring his judgments to the full extent. And so as we look at these plagues taking place, what we are reminded about is God's firm commitment to the redemption and the protection of his people as well as that firm commitment to the destruction of his enemies. Both of those things become quite apparent in these plagues. Now tonight, we are going to look at three plagues in Exodus 9. There is the fifth plague, which is the destruction of the Egyptian livestock. There is the sixth plague, which is the boils upon the Egyptians, including their livestock. And then the seventh plague, which was the historic and extremely destructive hailstorm mixed with fire and thunder that came against the Egyptian nation. We'll give most of our time this evening to the seventh plague of hail because that's where most of the text is, but we'll look at all three of them tonight. So let's begin with the fifth plague, the livestock being diseased. Pharaoh had refused over and over again to let the people of God Go, and because of his obstinacy, there was immense destruction coming against his nation. He was, he was destroying his own nation right before his eyes because he was refusing to let the people of God go. You want to see what pride does? Uh, the pride that says, "I will not give in. I will hold on to these people, despite the fact that my power is utterly." Uh, eviscerated before this great god and his judgments he's he's dead set and committed to not letting the people of god go and so moses continues to faithfully deliver the message the very simple message let my people go or else and the or else of course is the very next plague that will take place and the next plague in this case was the destruction of the egyptian livestock Verses 3 through 5, it says, Behold, the hand of the Lord will be on your cattle in the field, on the horses, on the donkeys, on the camels, on the oxen, on the sheep, a very severe pestilence. And the Lord will make a difference between the children of Israel, the livestock of Israel, and the livestock of Egypt. And the Lord said that tomorrow this is going to take place. Now, there was no way to avoid it in this case. It was all up to Pharaoh as to whether he would... Let the people of God go, but he had refused. And so there was nothing that the Egyptians could do about this judgment. They couldn't avoid it. They couldn't inoculate their animals to try to bring a stop to it. They had no power whatsoever to stop these things from happening. But you see that the Lord determined that not a single animal of the Israelites would die. Now, this plague, it illustrates for us a a distinction that the scriptures often bring out, and that is that the Lord himself draws a distinction between his people and the ungodly. The Lord knows those who belong to him. He he cares for his people. He sets uh, special care upon them, and his providence is so directed to care for his people at every stage that they are called to live. Now, sometimes God's people actually go through severe trials, and they themselves face the physical suffering. The plagues here are different in that regard. Most of the plagues do not affect the Israelites. That's the whole point. Sometimes it's the opposite. But in either case, whether or not God's people are physically suffering, God's providence is so directed to distinguish his people from the ungodly. Now, keep in mind that the livestock of the Egyptians would have been extremely valuable to them. This was a very big deal. Of course, it would be a big deal if it happened in the United States. I mean, imagine a few states getting affected by this epidemic that wipes out practically all the livestock. We would see an impact. But here, the entire Egyptian nation was afflicted by this disease, this wasting, destroying disease that came against the livestock, and it wiped out almost all of their animals. Now, the text does technically says all of them died out, but as we'll see in the case of the plague of hail, they still had some livestock alive because they were instructed to get them out of the way and be protected. So this doesn't mean that every single animal in Israel, uh, Egypt died, but it does mean that probably the vast majority <coughs> and certainly all kinds of animals died in the process. But in the case of the Israelite livestock, not a single one died. So Pharaoh, he even went to investigate this because he had been told that God was going to draw a distinction between the Egyptian livestock and the Israelite livestock. And so he sent people. He says, go see if any of the Israelites' animals died. Look at verse 7. Pharaoh sent, and indeed not even one of the livestock of the Israelites was dead. But the heart of Pharaoh became hard. After all the evidence, after seeing it with his own eyes, after investigating it, he would know that this wasn't some disease that had just happenstance had taken place and it was affecting all the animals. He would have known the truth, but such as the hardness of men's hearts that he refused. And so we see here the Lord drawing a distinction between his people and those who are not his people. Now we move on to the next plague, the plague of boils. This terrible plague of boils that caused these painful sores to break out upon the bodies of all the Egyptians. And we know it was painful because it it tells us that the magicians were not able to stand before Pharaoh. They were laid up in bed because of this. They were down for the count because of these nasty boils that had broken out upon their skin. We'll look at the text again in verse 8. So the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Take for yourselves handfuls of ashes from a furnace and let Moses scatter it toward the heavens and the side of Pharaoh and it will become fine dust in all the land of Egypt and it will cause boils that break out and sores on man and beast throughout all the land of Egypt. Then they took ashes from the furnace and stood before Pharaoh and Moses scattered them toward heaven and they caused boils that break out and sores on man and beasts and the magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils. Now why do you think that Moses drew out these ashes from the furnace? This was actually God's command. He says, "You go to a furnace, you draw out these ashes and you scatter them, and that would affect that would bring about this miracle of destruction and the causing of boils upon the Egyptians. Well, the reason I think that the furnace here is mentioned is because the furnaces were themselves symbolic of the oppression and affliction of the Israelites. We learn this in Deuteronomy 4 verse 20. The Lord talks about how he had brought them out of the iron furnace. It says, but the Lord has taken you and brought you out of the iron furnace, out of Egypt to be his people and inheritance as you are this day. So what would they have thought when they thought of a furnace? They would think of all this brick making and construction and and slave labor that the Israelites had engaged in. That's what the furnace represented. But now the furnace had been turned against the Egyptians and it was bringing immense suffering to them through these boils. Now we see how the, the judgments of God, they're escalating. They're getting worse because you remember the first plague, the magicians, they were doing great. They, they did their uh, trick miracle as well. They had their water turned to blood. And, and so the, the magicians were in for the fight. They were ready, it seemed, to go toe-to-toe with Moses and Aaron, but now they can't even stand up. The power of God has overpowered their magic arts. And as we had said, what would have been far more impressive back when the magicians, that when they turned the water into blood, it would have been so much more impressive if they had turned the water that had been turned into blood back into water. That's what they should have done if they actually had unlimited power, but of course they didn't. They were quite limited in their ability (coughs) to oppose the living God. And so this reminds us, brothers and sisters, that there is no force on earth, not even the mightiest empire nor the powers of darkness can do anything to stop the hand of God. These magicians are completely powerless to stop what is taking place. They couldn't heal themselves with their magic arts. They were down for the count with these boils. And so even though they had allied themselves with the forces of darkness, they had worshipped these demonic gods, and they had the power of the evil one behind them, this is a reminder that even with the power of the evil one, there is, your power is limited if that's who you ally yourself with. Matthew Henry wisely observed about this. He said, The devil can give no protection for those in confederacy with him. I thought that was good. The devil can give no protection for those in confederacy with him. Sure, you want to you serve the devil and do his, de- and his works and do his will? So be it, but he's not going to be able to help you when God's judgment comes. He can do nothing to stop that. So next we come to the seventh plague, the massive historic hailstorm that destroyed so much of Egypt. And in this case, the Lord even directly says to Pharaoh that I have raised you up for this purpose. I have raised you up, I have hardened your heart, so that my name will be declared in all the earth. I am extending my judgments, so that the glory and power of my name will be made known. And the Lord says that if I had wanted to strike you down immediately, I could have done it. Look at verse 15 and 16. Now if I had stretched out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, then you would have been cut off from the earth. But indeed for this purpose... I have raised you up that I may show my power in you, that my name may be declared in all the earth. What a warning this was to Pharaoh to be reminded that God's power was not even being exhaustively exercised in the plagues. God is saying, I could wipe out every single one of you if I had so decided to do that. But I haven't because I am making my name known In the earth. God could have done far more destruction to the land of Egypt. Now, why does God do this at times? Why is it that God will bring judgments to the earth and he brings a salvation to the earth? And of course, in Exodus, we see both judgment and salvation. God is glorified in both. Why is it that God chooses to bring judgments to this world at times, whether it's through natural disasters or through other means? Well, let's remember that the fallen world is a world that has attempted to forget God and to suppress his truth. The miraculous plagues upon Egypt became a means that God uses to make his name great in the earth. When God does works of power, they become remembered, they become known, and they become part of who he reveals himself to be. Now, was God successful in making his name known in all the earth through these events? Did the word actually get out about what God had done in Egypt? Well, the answer, of course, is yes. In fact, we see in Joshua chapter 2, you remember when the spies go into Rahab? Rahab and the people of Jericho had heard about the plagues. So, with the spies, they go into the the house of Rahab, and Rahab closes the door. And in Joshua 2, verse 9, she says this to the Israelite men I know that the Lord has given you the land, that the terror of you has fallen on us, and that all the inhabitants of the land are faint hearted because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the waters of the Red Sea when you came out of Egypt. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted. So the word had gotten out. The news had spread into the land of Canaan and elsewhere that God had delivered his people. And even though the Israelites were fearful of this whole prospect of taking the promised land, it was actually the case that the people of the promised land, the Canaanites, were fearful of them. Sort of like that principle you tell your kids that they get fearful about certain animals. You say, well, actually, the animal's more scared of you. And that actually was the case here with the Canaanites. They were quaking in fear of the Israelites, not because the Israelites were impressive, as we know, but because God, who had redeemed them, was impressive. Now, centuries later, hundreds and hundreds of years later, the Philistines were still talking about what God had done in Egypt. In 1 Samuel 4, when the ark is taken, tragically taken, and the Philistines hear about the ark of God coming into the camp. They are afraid because they know the reputation of the God of Israel. First Samuel 4, verse 7, listen to what they say. <coughs> the Philistines were afraid for they said, God has come into the camp. And they said, woe to us. For such a thing has never happened before. Woe to us who will deliver us from the hand of these mighty gods. These are the gods who struck the Egyptians with all the plagues in the wilderness. You'll notice they have some of their details wrong. The plagues didn't happen in the wilderness. Uh, But they got the basic point right, that God had struck the Egyptians with (coughs) very great plagues and had brought about great destruction. And even today, brothers and sisters, the works of God in Egypt are made known through the scriptural record. They're still talked about. We still talk about them as a matter of historical record that God showed his power in the earth. Now, when God says that he wants to make his name known and make his name great in all the earth, what do we mean by the name of God? Well, remember that it's not just a matter of God's name being a mere title, as in, I just want this title, Yahweh, to be heard. Rather, at issue is his reputation. His name represents who he is and what he does, what he is like. And so he is making his reputation known. He is glorifying himself in the world through what he is doing. And Matthew Poole comments on this. He talks about some of the ways that God was making his nature known in these Plagues, he says, my being, speaking of of God here, my being in providence and my manifold perfections, my patience in bearing with you so long, my justice in punishing you, my power in conquering you, my wisdom in overruling your pride, your tyranny and cruelty to your own destruction, and the redemption of my oppressed people, and my faithfulness in making good on my promises to them. These are the kinds of things that God is revealing about himself in the redemption of his people and in the judgments against Egypt. Now, one of the reasons that God magnifies his greatness through these acts of judgment and redemption is this, I believe. The glory of God shines the brightest when he delivers his weak people from an extremely powerful foe. We remember the condition of the Israelites, they're slaves, they are unable to redeem themselves, they have no power to fight the armies of Egypt. It was not a situation where the uh, Israelites were going to be able to get together and, and really put up a fight against uh, Egypt. And of course, Pharaoh had contributed to that problem by killing so many of their children. He had tried to weed, weed down the population uh, of Israel, but that didn't matter. What are the Israelites doing on all of this? They're sitting and waiting in Goshen while God does his amazing redemption. They weren't doing anything. They were just waiting. Of course, their their, their main contribution later on is complaining, sadly, that, that that becomes the main thing that they do. A little bit of glory to God along the way, but it, it, a lot of problems as well. But God is redeeming his weak and powerless people from an extremely powerful foe, from the greatest empire at the time that they were enslaved to. And it's the same way with our redemption, isn't it, brothers and sisters, that we are saved completely weak, completely powerless by a mighty God through a mighty gospel by a mighty Savior. While we were still weak, at the right time, Jesus Christ died for the ungodly. We had no power to do this ourselves, enslaved to sin, subject to the power of the evil evil one. We had no hope of redemption in ourselves. But then God visited us. He sent his son to us who are helpless and in desperate need of a great redemption. So we continue now by noting what happened in this seventh plague. It was absolutely devastating. It was the most severe hailstorm ever to hit Egypt, killing many people and animals. It caused immense loss of life and resources and capital. But we also see the mercy of God, even in this judgment. And we see it because the Lord gave them a heads up. Not that God always does this, but he gave them a warning. He gave the Egyptians a warning that they could actually prevent something of the destruction of this hailstorm. Look at verse 18. Behold, tomorrow about this time I will cause very heavy hail to rain down such as has not been in Egypt since its founding until now. Therefore, send now and gather your livestock and all that you have in the field, for the hail shall come down on every man and every animal which is found in the field and is not brought home, and they shall die. Well, in fact, some of Pharaoh's servants took the advice. In verse 20, we see that they... The ones that feared the word of the Lord went and they gathered their livestock. They gathered their servants. They said, we're going to get you under cover," And that probably helped quite a bit. Not that all cover would have protected everybody, but it sure did make a difference. But many others ignored the warning. Uh, they didn't fear the word of the Lord. They didn't believe. Now I'm thinking after five plagues, shouldn't you believe what Moses says, right? You have got to take this man seriously because every single thing he says happens, happens. Put your livestock And your servants, undercover. It didn't happen, though, for so many of them. Why why is this? Well, from verses 31 and 32, we learn that it was the time of harvest. It was the time of the flax and the barley harvest. And this has has relevance for two reasons. One is that it explains how destructive the hailstorm was, that the crops that were ready to be harvested were all decimated by it. So that was one reason this detail is relevant. But another detail is, is it explains what people probably were thinking. They're thinking, this is harvesting time. I'm not going to bring all my servants and livestock in. We've got work to do. We've got flax and barley to harvest. This is what we are going to focus on. There's no hailstorm to worry about here. And as a consequence, there was a massive loss of life and destruction of food and property. It was a hailstorm like you could never imagine. It was a hailstorm, of course, with thunder, which often comes with hailstorms, as as inevitably it does, but also fire. I don't know how that worked. I don't know how the fire mingled with the hail, but that has got to add to the problems that they were facing. It would have been the most horrific hailstorm you had ever seen. Even in modern times, hailstorms can do incredible amounts of damage. We see them from time to time in Colorado. You all have probably seen some rough ones in your life. A few examples from more recent history include a hailstorm in India. It happened in 1888, and it killed 240 people. It's a lot of people to be killed by hell. A hailstorm in Germany in 1984 killed or injured 400 people. I don't know how many were killed versus injured. There have been recent recordings of hailstones weighing over two pounds. Can you imagine a two-pound hail, hailstone coming down. Your roof is done if that happens. And if there was insurance companies in Egypt, they were done for after this. But I imagine there was not any insurance for them. And so... This hailstorm could have been worse than that. I don't know if they were two pound hailstones. I don't know if they were four pound. I'm not sure how big they were, but we know it was the most destructive hailstorm the nation had ever seen. And it's possible that Egypt had lasted maybe or had been around for some thousand years at this point in time, at least in some form. And so as the hail continued and the thunderings and the lightnings, uh, Pharaoh says, okay, okay, let's call Moses in. Let's put a stop to this and look at what Pharaoh says in verse 29. I have sinned this time. Of course, he had sinned all the other times, but he says, I've sinned this time. The Lord is righteous and I and my people, my people and I are wicked Entreat the Lord that there may be no more mighty thunderings and hail for it is enough. I will let you go and you shall stay no longer. Now, as you look at this confession, you might be thinking, this is really good. I mean, it's very biblical language. He says, I've sinned, my people are wicked, God is righteous. That's all very true, right? But this reminds us that true repentance is not the same as verbal confession. Of course, verbal confession is an important aspect of true repentance. But it's not the same thing. You could have somebody go through the motions. You could have somebody say the right things. It does not mean their heart is changed. Now, I would advocate that... As I say that, I would advocate that when people verbally repent, that we receive their repentance. I'm not suggesting that you be a hardco- hard, uh, hardcore skeptic about everybody's confessions and not forgive people. So that's not what I'm talking about. But what I am saying is that verbal confession does not equal true repentance and true change of heart. And, of course, Moses didn't believe it because he knew what God was up to here, that God was going to continue to bring forth his judgments. But Moses, every time... Uh, Pharaoh did repent verbally. Moses went out and prayed for him, which is a good example of what I was saying, is that you receive the confession, even if it's shown to be false later on. So Moses goes out in verse 29, because Pharaoh said, I've sinned, please ask God to bring a stop to it. And, And Moses says, okay, I will do so. Verse 29, Moses said to him, as soon as I have gone out of the city, I will spread out my hands to the Lord. The thunder will cease and there will be no more hail that you may know that the earth is the Lord's. I always thought it was fascinating that Moses goes out of the city to pray. And I'm thinking, well, wouldn't you want to be undercover while this is going on? I mean, there's hail coming down, there's thunder, there's fire. You're going to walk all the way out of the city and then pray that it stops? Well, Moses is thunderproof and hailproof, I believe, as he prays to God. What a contrast between the servants of God and the servants of sin. Those who do not repent must fear God's judgments, but God's servants who have peace with God are safe in the hands of their father. Matthew Henry, he wisely put it, he said, Peace with God makes men thunderproof, for thunder is the voice of their father. For those children amongst us that have a fear of weather, it's a good reminder to to know that You are thunderproof because it is the voice of your father thundering. He will take care of you. It's the power of God at work, but it's the power of your father in heaven. So then, brothers and sisters, what we've seen tonight is the kindness and the severity of God in these plagues. And therefore, we should be exceedingly grateful that we are those who have received the kindness of God in Jesus Christ. We are those that have been... Beloved by the Father, and we are those that do not fear the judgments to come because we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we praise you as the God of judgment and justice. We see just a glimpse of your infinite power at work in this account, and we praise you for it. We praise you also for your mercy, which you have bestowed upon us through your Son. We are thankful to be those that are your people, beloved by you. And we ask, Lord, that you would teach us from this passage to know who you are better. And we pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.